Hello and welcome to the Playful Life Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal. Thanks so much for joining me here today. We have a great episode in store for you. And of course, you know that this podcast is your place to find all the things you need to know to live your best life and to have your best health. That's including your mind, your body, and your spirit. And I believe that all those things are connected. And when truly all those things are in harmony, we can live our best, most playful life. So today on the podcast, I have Judy Gilman joining me and she is so amazing. She's been a nurse practitioner for many, many years. She has so much knowledge coming out of practice as a nurse. Now she's retired and devoting her life to educating people about diabetes. And she is actually a certified diabetes educator. And uh, we're gonna talk about that and about her experience as a nurse and someone in the healthcare profession, looking at diabetes, looking at the trend, you know, moving uh, from really the, the 1970s up into present day and how we're seeing this epidemic of obesity and diabetes really unfold in our nation and our world and, and some of the things we could do to educate ourselves about it and what is our best defense and best prevention against it. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I truly enjoyed my conversation with Judy today. Hi, Judy. Hi, Crystal. How are you doing? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. It's, it's so warm here in Chicago. It's like 75 degrees today. <laughs> oh, that's great. We had it yesterday. Just oh, did you? you thank Montana. We sent it your way. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Hopefully it's not snowing there yet. Yeah. Yeah. We have that coming soon. Uh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining me, Judy. And um, of course, what inspired me to get you on the podcast uh, when I did is that November is American Diabetes Recognition Month. And um, I think it's really important, this information that we're going to talk about today to bring to our viewers and our audience all about diabetes and education and prevention and, and all those good things. Um, so, uh, just to, to kick things off here, I know we were, we we're talking a little bit before, but, um, you are a, a RN and you've been for a very long time and a diabetes certified diabetes educator. Um, and it, it shows here that, uh, you've been, uh, RN since 1964. So a lot of years long that you've been time. in. Yeah. <laughs> so what inspired you, Judy, to, to go into that field of nursing? Well, it's kind of interesting, I guess, or not interesting, maybe, because most people that go into nursing, it seems like I've always wanted to be a nurse, have a passion. And, you know, that wasn't me. I didn't know what I wanted to be. I graduated from a quite small high school without a guidance counselor, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And one of my friends um, said, well, why don't you go to LPN school? That's what she was doing. And I said, Oh, okay. I was just willing to do anything. And um, I had to have a list of recommendations, you know, to get into the school. And one of them was a former pastor. And he wrote me a very nice letter and said, I'm happy to recommend you to do this, but reach your full potential and be an RN. <laughs> okay. And so that redirected me into becoming a registered nurse. I 
I've been ever so grateful ever since. Excellent. Wow. Yeah. So, but I can imagine that in order to have the the heart and the capacity to be an RN, it takes a, a certain maybe characteristic. And, you know, would you say maybe growing up that you were, uh, you know, that, that caring type, even for your friends and family? Yeah, I think that's true. Um, one of the things um, I grew up very, uh, in close contact with my grandparents and they had older friends and it was always uh, very much at ease with older people and, you know, like to listen and the same with my friends. So I guess, yeah, that does enter into it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. How cool. So I see here that, um, you know, obviously you became a certified diabetes educator in 1978. So you know, that, that path obviously led us together and uh, to this podcast. So, so that was about, what was it, about 14 years that you were practicing nurse and then got into diabetes education. So, so what sparked your interest in that? Well, I, um, so I, after I got my RN, I went on to get my nurse practitioner credentials about a year before I got certified as a diabetes educator. And I was working in a in a smaller community in rural Montana. And I had two friends, two very good friends that both had type one diabetes. And I watched them struggle and there weren't many resources in our community. And one of them said to me, why don't we start a diabetes education program? I had always had a passion as a nurse for helping people who had diabetes. I just People often ask me if I have diabetes and I don't, I don't even have it in my family history, but it's just something I was drawn to immediately in nursing school and um, had a student nurse in my same class that had diabetes. That was another motivator, I guess. And so I just, when people ask me that, I usually just say, I guess it's my calling because I didn't didn't have a personal reason for it, but it was just, I was just drawn to helping people with diabetes. Wow. Cool. Yeah. And I, I don't know back, I mean, back then was diabetes as talked about or as prevalent of a, of an illness as it is today? No, it was not, not at all. It uh, has certainly, the incidence has skyrocketed over my career. Well, I was just thinking back to when I was in a student nurse and as I was thinking about talking about this today, um, we did some of the things very differently. I mean, it was, yeah, nothing at all like we're currently able to do the technology and, and the research and what we know about helping people with diabetes has just changed so much. It was just back then, it was almost like I'm you know, like, I'm really sorry you have diabetes, it's a bad disease. And <laughs> it didn't go too much farther. Um, you know, insulin wasn't even discovered until 1921. So before that, people who had type one diabetes basically just died there. We can't live without insulin. Um, so yeah, the, the, the treatment, the treatment options, what we know about helping people nutritionally, especially has dramatically changed. Unfortunately, 
the incidence has increased a lot and the majority of people with diabetes have what we call type two diabetes. And the number one cause of type two diabetes is being overweight. And so as the obesity epidemic has skyrocketed in our country and across the world, in many other countries as well, the incidence of type two diabetes has also skyrocketed. There was a term coined several years ago, uh, diabesity, because obesity and diabetes type two are so closely related. So that's one thing that has led to a huge increase in the, in the number of people with, with diabetes. Um, you know, in the United States, it's like 9.4% of the entire population has wow. diabetes. And that's a lot of folks. Wow. So, so they have been essentially diagnosed with type two diabetes for sure. Yeah, so we're not just talking, you know, what, what was that pre-diabetic, right? We could talk about that a little bit, but wow. Yeah. That is very high. Yeah. That includes both type two and, and type one, mm -hmm. but that's and a lot of people. Just for, you know, my listeners out there that might not be as, you know, well-versed in the world of nutrition and health as you, um, you know, what's uh, the difference between type one and type two diabetes? Because I, I feel like a lot of people might not really understand that difference. Yeah, uh, that's very true. They're actually two different diseases. Type one, which only accounts for five to 10% of everybody with diabetes, that's considered an, what we call an autoimmune disease. And by that, we just mean that the immune system for unknown reasons attacks the cells in the pancreas that make insulin. For some reason, they just, uh, it, it misinterprets them as foreign bodies wow. or whatever, and they're destroyed. And so they can't make insulin anymore. And like I said, we can't live without insulin. So they get sick very quickly. Uh, it's quite a dramatic onset for most people. Um, they kind of feel like they might be getting the flu and then they just get weaker and weaker and weaker and, and often are in um, life-threatening situations by the time they're diagnosed in the hospital. Um, so the rest of the, most of the rest of the people have what's called type two. So around 90 to 95%. Um, and that primarily is a problem of carbohydrate metabolism and a, a, what we call insulin resistance. They make a lot of insulin, but their body can't use the insulin. And insulin's, one of insulin's jobs is to allow the, the food that we eat that turns into sugar to get that glucose into our cells for energy and when it isn't working right, they have high blood sugars and are diagnosed with, with type two. There's many things that, that uh, predispose people to getting type two diabetes. Like I said, obesity is one of them. There's many other factors. And then there's just a few, um, well, there's gestational diabetes and people may have heard of that. That's when a woman is pregnant and they become diabetic. They weren't before. And almost everybody with gestational diabetes, once the baby is born, they don't have diabetes anymore. It's mm -hmm. almost instantaneous. However, they're at higher risk of becoming type 2 diabetic later in life. And then there's even a smaller percentage of people who get um, diabetes from, with some really um, rare diseases or from certain uh, side effects of certain medications. 
Um, and then we've even got another, it's not a type of diabetes, but because of the obesity epidemic in our country, people who have type one are generally very thin, very thin. It's just been always typical of a type one person. But like the rest of the population, many of them are gaining weight and getting overweight. And so it's been referred to as double diabetes because they really have type one, but as they gain too much weight, they also become very insulin resistant. So it's kind of like both types of diabetes wow. in one person. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's very um, unfortunate. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for explaining that. And that was, I think the best I've ever heard the difference explained. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. I can tell you're an educator. <laughs> um, so, you know, for those of us watching, uh, you know, I, I had grandparents, my grandmother was uh, diabetic and she took insulin shots and uh, I had an uncle who lived with us. He was also diabetic and, um, you know, also took insulin. And so growing up, um, I don't know if I, I thought it was maybe a, a disease that just old people got, or, you know, something that, um, you know, you just needed to take a shot after you ate, or, you know, may, maybe people don't really understand, like, the implications of what having diabetes actually is. I, I think maybe people understand that it's bad and they don't want it. <laughs> they don't want to get it right. But maybe um, people don't really understand what it means for our health and uh, longevity and, and all these different things. So um, I think as you know, we reflect on this American Diabetes Recognition Month, I think it's important for people to be educated about so what is it? You know, what, why don't we want to get it? Judy, why don't we want to get diabetes? <laughs> well, it's a lot of work to take care of it. But the good news is, and I, I just would really like to stress that diabetes is a very um, manageable disease. It's something that people can live healthy, long lives with if they're well educated and, and know what they need to do. That's, you know, that's what diabetes educators profession came into being for because it is a very it's very much a disease that is self-managed you know you might see an endocrinologist or your family doctor every three to six or 12 months and the same with your nutritionist or diabetes educator but the the person who's there 24 7 is the person with diabetes so they're the ones that have to make the day-to-day -day decisions and so there's a lot of education that they need because people can't do the right things if they don't know what those right things are. Most people think that, oh, I don't wanna have diabetes because I can't ever have sugar uh, or sugar causes diabetes. And, and those are just way oversimplifications. When you mentioned um, your family members taking insulin, uh, that's another uh, thing that there's a lot of misunderstanding about because as I said, type one folks stop making insulin and they have to have it to live. So they always, from the very time of diagnosis, start on insulin. So they take it either by injections and now people have insulin pumps and little uh, pads that can put on their skin that inject the insulin through. So it's much easier to, uh, to do that. But type two folks who make up the majority of the people with diabetes um, may take insulin. They may eventually need insulin or they may never need insulin or they may only need insulin if they get really sick. Most type twos are, can easily 
and I say easily because it's not uh, without a good bit of effort on their part, but it's very manageable. They can, they can uh, stay off medicines or get off medicines if they really learn how to eat well and be physically active. Um, it depends somewhat on how long they've had the disease as to what their medication management will be. But uh, type twos are much more likely to start out on, on uh, oral medication. Okay. So it's like insulin doesn't mean you have type one. It doesn't mean type two, never take it. Um, and when you mentioned about, you know, is it just older people? Well, interestingly, type two diabetes used to be called maturity onset diabetes. It was a disease of older people. But now we have preteens and young teens that are getting this so-called maturity onset diabetes. And why is that? Because of their overweight, their poor eating habits and their physical inactivity. Kids are getting this disease that used to just be older people. It's sad. Oh my goodness, wow, what a, what a shocker. Yes. Yeah, we, you're right, Judy. I think people are called, called by God to do something about this because this is a real uh, epidemic. This is crazy. That, that's it's, very, yeah. very shocking. It, it's, it's, an, it's actually, a, it was a pan, the first pandemic, I would say, before COVID hit. Diabetes has become a pandemic. It is um, the cost to the country uh, in healthcare costs is, uh, it's extravagant. It's like, uh, it, it, I just looked at some statistics <laughs> and in 2012, the cost uh, was considered to be $243 billion. And in 2017, which is the last statistics that went up to $327 billion per year. Um, so people with diabetes have like 2.3 times greater cost in healthcare. Mm -hmm. So it drives the cost of insurance up. It costs, you know, individuals a lot of money. And uh, yeah, it's, it's challenging for sure from a financial perspective as well. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, very interesting and startling as well. Oh my goodness. Um, so you, you did touch on uh, this of course, the buzzword of 2020, uh, COVID-19. And, um, you know, I've done a little bit of research into diabetes and how, uh, especially type 2 diabetes, and how that um, has sort of a, a link or uh, gives a person maybe a more of a risk factor into developing complications with something such as COVID or other illnesses. So, um, can you maybe speak on that a little bit, just because we're kind of still in the, in the midst of, of seeing this pandemic? Yes, yes, we are, for sure. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, people with diabetes, people with especially uncontrolled diabetes, by that I mean their blood sugars are running higher than they should because they haven't been educated in following um, a good program that makes them very susceptible to illnesses. And it also makes it very difficult for them to recover from illnesses. When your blood sugar is high, um, you know, the white blood cells and the parts of the immune system that are trying to heal an infection, it's like they're swimming through molasses. Mm -hmm. They're not very effective in doing their job. And so unfortunately, diabetes 
in obesity are the first and second highest risk factors for people having poor outcomes with COVID once they need, you know, if they're sick enough to require hospitalization, especially. So it's really, really important for people who have diabetes to get in touch with the proper resources that can help them get their blood sugars as close to normal as possible to uh, do the best they can to prevent getting COVID. We can't guarantee anybody isn't gonna get it, right? But that certainly uh, puts them at much lower risk than if they have high blood sugars. And again, if they're in the hospital and getting their blood sugars under control, that's just really, really important. And if people are overweight, you know, that's the number one cause of getting type two diabetes. So it's not just a matter of looking nice in a mirror. <laughs> it really matters for your health. It can save your life. And so it's a great time, although it may be a difficult time with everybody staying home and being restricted, but it's a great time to get on a, on a weight loss program. And people don't have to get skinny to reduce their risks. Um, you know, decreasing body weight by like 7% or 10 to 15 pounds dramatically reduces the risk of getting type 2 diabetes. Wow, that's, that's awesome to know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, people have a, definitely a, a misconception about weight loss and, and what the ideal is. And uh, I talk a lot about that on, on this podcast, sort of that idea of disqualifying yourself and saying, well, I'm never going to be a size zero. So what's the point, you know, and um, but it's not really obviously about that. And um, like you're saying, you know, any headway you can make towards those goals at all is going to be beneficial to your health. Very beneficial, very beneficial. That's, I think, a, an important point for people to understand. You know, not everybody's meant to be skinny, and I don't know that anybody's meant to be skinny, skinny, unless you're a marathon runner, but <laughs> <laughs> being healthy is something we should all strive for. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, and I love that. I love that um, you have, you have a uh, a son and a daughter, you have six grandkids and five great grandkids. So, oh my gosh, you must've started having children so young to be a great grandmother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not even that old to me. It's nuts. <laughs> so, um, you know, Judy, what, what do you like to do? How, how do you stay playful? You know, you seem like you've been, uh, taking care of your health for a long time and, you know, somebody who's very aware of, of your health. So, um, you know, how do you use your good health to live life to the fullest? Yeah. Well, I've always, um, <clears throat> tried to, you know, the way I teach people to live, to be healthy is how I try to live myself. So I, um, it's not like you can tell people, well, do what I tell you to do. Don't do what I, what I'm doing. So, I, I have always lived that way, and I like to be active. I live <clears throat> in Western Montana. Excuse me, I need to get a drink. <clears throat> sure. <laughs> I like your coffee mug. <clears throat> so I like to hike in the mountains. I like to golf. So and and just we have lots of trails, walking trails, hiking trails around our area. So especially in the summer, that's what I like to do. Winter's always a little bit more challenging, but I still like to, to get out and, and uh, walk as much as I can. Um, I'm fortunate that our fitness center is currently open with you know, the 
COVID restrictions in place. So we're very careful, but I go to the gym uh, twice a week and do strengthening classes and, and then I work my cardio and other, other uh, exercises in at home. So, yeah. That's great. Oh, wow. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Um, it's, it's, I, I just love to hear what other people like to do and uh, it's always inspiring and, you know, somebody out there might really resonate with how you like to, you know, stay fit and stay active. So, um, so I, I see here that uh, you also keep yourself busy with my no nonsense nutrition, um, which is, you know, where, where people can find you obviously on online, um, sort of under that, that business title. So, so, so what's that? Well, how did that come about? And uh, tell us just a little bit about, you know, what you do with that aspect of your, of your business and life. Mm -hmm. Well, when I left, so I wanted to have my own education business for quite a while. I was employed by a hospital when I was working as a nurse practitioner and a diabetes educator. Um, and well, first I was working in a, in a clinic and then I was working at a hospital. But when you're in a, in a setting like that, there are certain, um, it's kind of like you have to stay in the box. <laughs> you have to follow the guidelines and not that they're bad guidelines, but I just um, knew that there were things that we were advising people that didn't set well with me. I knew they weren't quite right. And part of that, I think, <clears throat> is because research, it takes about 15 years for something to really get into clinical practice once it's proven. It's just the way it is, unfortunately. So I always felt like I was kind of out there ahead of the curve. I know this is coming. I know this is what we're supposed to be doing, but it wasn't in the hospital guidelines yet. So <clears throat> I wanted to start my own business. And when the opportunity arose that I could leave clinical practice and begin my own business, that's what I did. And of course, all those years helping people with diabetes, nutrition is absolutely the key essential for preventing chronic diseases and for oftentimes reversing chronic diseases. And so I have done several different things under the, that business. But what I'm really focusing on the last several years because prevention, you know, let's prevent these diseases. If type two is preventable, let's get the word out and prevent it. And the best way to prevent it is with good uh, understanding of what you put in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah. simple, right? And yet so difficult. So easy and yet so hard. Exactly. And so that's what I concentrate on. And that's why I chose that name because it doesn't, you know, we don't want to be too technical when we're educating people because it just goes right over, you know, if we talk in all these scientific terms and everything, it doesn't resonate with people. So we have to come up with some things that are no nonsense, right? Just straightforward right. and, um, and guide people and, and support them as you're teaching them. And that's a lot of what I do. So mostly my um, education these days is done online. Um, again, focusing on good, healthy nutrition that science-based has a lot of good research behind it and helping people be as physically active as they can. When physical activity, as far as diabetes goes, is almost 
like insulin. It's like a medication because it makes people more insulin sensitive. And so in that respect, it's very, very helpful. A lot of people feel like they have to exercise like crazy if they want to lose weight. Well, in reality, weight loss, which is a goal for anyone who is overweight uh, to prevent diabetes, but you know, 80% at least, again, is what you put in your mouth, not how hard you work on the treadmill or whatever. So it's important to help people be as physically active as they're physically able to do. Many people have disabilities and things that restrict them, but there's something for everybody in, in the program I do. So I really enjoy that part of it. And then I think a huge part for people with diabetes is the ongoing support. You know, it's, it's what we know about diabetes changes all the time. There's always new things and, and new information. And so having that ongoing support is, in, is important um, in the short term, if they're looking at weight loss, in the long term, if they're just looking to prevent complications of diabetes. Having, having somebody there with you on that journey, like, like you or, or me or, you know, any kind of coach is very, very important, right? Absolutely. In, in a community. And, yeah. And as a certified diabetes educator, you know, we take people through several different steps. There's, um, there are um, nationally recognized diabetes programs have, again, the standards that we need to make sure that people with diabetes learn all of these different things. So that's, that's initial education. And then, you know, programs like what we do are just so beneficial long-term so that people can have the support. And um, yeah, it just is really, really important. Right, and yeah. Accountability is huge too. I mean, you know, it's just, just like it is for me when I'm, if I'm going to try and uh, do what I tell other people to do, they keep me accountable at the same time, which is helpful. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I think that's yeah. partially maybe why I got into training and uh, health coaching and stuff, because I, I, I love it so much. It's such a part of what I do that you're right. When you help other people, it, it keeps you on, on the path. And right, right. You know, there's no slipping up for me because <laughs> I got to I gotta stay in it for everybody else. So for sure. <laughs> and it's so rewarding and so much, so much fun <laughs> to see the results that people get. I mean, it's just when you can take somebody from being, you know, in a, in a bad place, so to speak, health-wise, and see them progress. It's just, it's just such a rewarding thing to do. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, thank you. And I, I honor you for doing that. And um, I think a lot of people get to the end of their career or their, their working years, so as it is, and, and say, okay, I'm, I'm hanging it up. I'm going to go, you know, live on some island somewhere. And you're saying, no. You know, the, the, the calling is still so prevalent in your life that you see now really more than ever that people need your services, your education, your knowledge and, and all of that. So, so I honor you for continuing the fight because we need more people like you, Judy. Thanks. 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 I, maybe it's just that I'm not smart enough to retire. <laughs> 
I just enjoy what I do. You know, I've always said when I don't enjoy it anymore, I'm done. And now with our technology where we can be online, help people with phone calls and video conferencing and all of that, you can reach a lot of people and help a lot of people. It's, you know, as long as I'm seeing results, seeing that people are having good results and I'm enjoying it, why not continue, right? Absolutely. You're right. Yeah. And I can tell you have fun with it. Just knowing you and, and seeing your posts and seeing your presence online, you always are so positive and, and really, you know, glowing. So I can tell that you really do enjoy it. Um, so Judy, uh, where, you know, where can people find maybe more information uh, during the month of November? You know, let's really get the word out and encourage people to get educated about diabetes and you know, maybe look into their family history. I mean, maybe where are some resources or where would somebody even begin if they thought, oh, I don't know, my diet isn't that great and I'm kind of overweight. Like, am I diabetic or am I on the borderline? So like, how could we inspire some action for people here? Yeah. Well, one of the uh, best resources online for people, I think, is the American Diabetes Association website. Um, you kind of have to go around in there to find what you want. But it's a wealth of information. Um, we didn't talk about um, symptoms of diabetes, but you know they have all oh. of these things listed there. You know, what what would you think about might be symptoms that you would have if you have diabetes? Well, people are fatigued. They fall asleep easily, more easily than usual. They're going to the bathroom more frequently. They're they're maybe more thirsty. They might have blurry vision. Um, they might get loss of vision if it has progressed long enough. Um, they might experience um, unexplained weight loss. Um, they might have uh, tingling in their fingers or toes, uh, mm. recurrent uh, yeast infections for women especially. Those are all symptoms that you might have diabetes. And a lot of those things, you know, feeling more tired, going to the bathroom more often, people think, oh, I'm just getting older. That's just part of the process. Mm. And it's not. Um, okay. So, in, in, and a blood test is how people are diagnosed. Um, so, anybody who hasn't had, you know, over the age of 40 or so, if you haven't had a blood glucose test done, you want to have that done. That's how diabetes is, is diagnosed. And you mentioned prediabetes earlier as well. So what is that? Well, it's really as serious as diabetes. It just means that the numbers haven't quite tipped into the diagnostic category for uh, diabetes. But I would not be surprised in not too long of a time if they don't start considering that almost the, the same thing because the risk factors are so great and the complications of, you know, you hear about things, complications that can happen when you have diabetes, um, and they're dreadful. Um, you can go blind, you can have kidney failure, you can have amputations, you have heart attacks, you have strokes, but those things are all preventable. And the number one cause of most all of the complications of diabetes are blood sugars that are elevated over long periods of time. And if people have diabetes, they're not testing their blood sugar, they're not gonna know that. People say, oh, I feel fine, so I don't need to poke my finger. Well, right. that isn't true, because all of those symptoms that I mentioned that can be signs of high blood sugar, 
there can also be people that have no symptoms. Mm -hmm. And in reality, diabetes is not, you know, most people have had diabetes type two for 10 years before they're diagnosed. Wow. So that means they've been ignoring symptoms for 10 years. They haven't had the blood tests for 10 years. And during those 10 years, there's all of this um, damage being done throughout the body system. Um, and that's how um, many people are diagnosed. When they have a heart attack, they go in with a heart attack, they do the blood tests, and they, they're diabetic. They didn't know they were, but that's really what caused their heart attack or that they go to the eye doctor because they can't see very well. And the eye doctor can say, well, I think you need to go get your blood sugar tested and then wow. they're diagnosed yeah. with diabetes. So, yeah. Yeah. So go get a blood test, go to your doctor. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, the American Diabetes out. Association website has a lot of information on all of this. Um, family history plays into the picture as well. Um, but we used to, you know, say, well, it isn't really your fault that you have type two diabetes and part of it is genetics, but part of that genetics is the family history that everybody in the family is overweight and eating too many carbs and not mm -hmm. being active. And so um, there is a lot that can be done on a, on, a, on a family level as well. Once a person knows they have these risk factors, it, it can be a family affair to get everybody educated and, and healthier. Yeah. I love that, especially because you brought to light that this isn't just a, a disease that affects older people, right? We're starting to see teenagers and preteens and, you know, I mean, the, that's children basically. So that's, I mean, that's so, uh, what a, a crushing thing that, I mean, this preventable in a, in a great way, preventable disease is starting to, to creep into our children mm -hmm. and that generation. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we gotta be vigilant yeah. about this for sure. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting too, with type one, the people who stop making insulin, that used to always be almost always in children. And now we see that all through the lifespan, it's still much more common. It's usually around adolescence when it's diagnosed, um, it can, but it can happen at any time, even into uh, the older years. So that's changing as well. Um, we don't know the cause of type one. And so there's, it's an environmental thing and it's probably, and heredity. So that's a little more perplexing for sure. But yeah, it's, kids with uh, diabetes, it's, it's sad because, you know, if there's a, especially a child who gets type two diabetes, it's hard for kids, well, type one or type two, it's just really hard to say, you know, you really have to, you can't eat that and you can't eat that and you have to do this and you have to do that. It's very hard and, and uh, often they don't. And then when you get it at that young of an age, it takes, you know, 10 to 15 years before complications start. So we are now seeing in those young uh, pre-adolescents and adolescents that get type 2, we're seeing heart attacks and strokes in 30 and 40-year-olds that because of this diabetes being present for so long and not being controlled. So programs like what you offer, any kind of training and coaching and 
all of that is so important. It is, yeah, and the family needs to all get on board. It is. And I, I think in inspiring and I work with a lot of, you know, people who are obviously moms and dads and, and grandmas and grandpas. And I always try to stress that, you know, the, the changes that they're making for themselves are not only affecting their lives, but future generations, their kids, their kids, kids, and, and all of these future generations are going to, you know, benefit from the lifestyle changes that, yeah. that they're making as an individual. So absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, for sure. It's um, people always, or I shouldn't say people in general, but kids generally do what their parents do. All of those kinds of habits. If you start eating healthy as a young child, it just continues on into adulthood. So much less risk of chronic diseases of all kinds. Absolutely. Yeah, much easier. The earlier you get into eating broccoli, the easier it is. <laughs> <laughs> This is true. This is true. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me, Judy. I really enjoyed our, our talk. And um, how, how can people find you if they want to connect with you and learn more about diabetes education? Well, probably the easiest way to find me is on Facebook. <laughs> connect with me. Find me. You'll recognize me just by, my, by name. And I have a business page, professional page as well. Um, and so that's where my known on Gems Nutrition comes in. And uh, so they can just search Facebook and find me. Okay, wonderful. I'll link that in the show notes as well. So people can find you there too. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much for the invitation. I just enjoyed our chat. And anytime I can talk to anybody to get the word out about diabetes and how important it is to, to know you have it early and to take care of it early and ongoing it's a it's a lifestyle change for sure and that's that's what you and I are all about right that's right that's right definitely <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks so much Judy enjoy the rest of your day and uh God bless you for being here with me today no appreciate thank you it. bless you as well bye-bye bye-bye Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing from my guest as much as I loved filming and recording this podcast with them. If you want more episodes, check out The Playful Life on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, anywhere you find podcasts, you can find this. I'm also on YouTube, Crystallized Health Advisors, and Facebook, Ron Harlow Media, and Crystallized Health Advisors there. Don't keep this information to yourself. If you know someone that could really benefit from this podcast and the information we have here, share it with somebody, share it with the world, and I will see you next time. Stay playful.